Hello everyone, welcome to Any Given You. I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you tonight, but before we get into that, I'd like to remind everyone that if you're enjoying our content, please make sure to give us a rating and review. If you've already done that, make sure to tell your friends about the podcast available on all major podcast platforms and follow us on Instagram, as well as the Any Given You Facebook page and group. Glad we're done with that. The Football Power Index. A few days ago, ESPN released their Football Power Index for all 130 FBS teams. Now, ESPN defines the Football Power Index as a measure of team strength that is meant to be the best predictor of a team's performance going in to the rest of the season. The rankings are based on 20,000 computer simulations. The FPI, or the Football Power Index, predicts how many points below or above an average of zero a team is expected to get. Okay, I'll explain that in just a second. Uh, Apparently, this is scary accurate, generally within 3 to 5% of their estimations, meaning that if 20 teams were listed at a 75% chance of winning, usually 16 of those 20 teams will actually win their contest. Now, the Football Power Index gets better, I should say, after four games have been played. That's the sample size that they need, apparently, when they're doing all their calculations. And their season estimates are actually refined after that. So, preseason estimates are not as accurate, but they're still pretty good. The Football Power Index rating is based on an average number of points by which a team would beat an average, quote-unquote average, college team on a neutral field. So if you were to take a look at the rankings on ESPN.com and you see your team's name next to their name, there is a number in the column rank that, 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 is, uh, that is written FPI, right? The Football Power Index. Whatever that number is, whether it be 10, 25, negative 3, 0, 0.5, whatever that is, that is the margin of either victory or defeat that they are predicting that that team would have against an average, quote-unquote average, college football team. I don't know what the criteria for the average football team is, but let's just go ahead and go with it. Now, of note, teams 72 through 130, which is the very last team in FBS, are considered to be below average teams, which means on this ranking, 72 through 130 are actually margins of defeat to an average football team. The 71st team in this list is Colorado, so they are the last team that is considered above average. They are rated just a hair above average, as they're average margin of victory would be 0.4 points per contest. I don't know how they come up with that number, but basically barely winning. Now, these are not official top 25 rankings, but they do factor in heavily towards uh, top 25 that get, you know, that gets published ahead of the season and during the season when they do their 
you know, updates weekly. So this is something that plays into the equation heavily. So we thought it would be fun to delve into some of these rankings and see what we make of them. Now, obviously, I'm I'm not going to break down all 130 teams here. We don't have time for that. But we will talk the top 10 for sure and discuss some teams that ended up in some I'm going to call it interesting spots, but really sort of head scratchers for me. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Number one. Yeah, you guessed it. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. As to be expected with all lists, they just, they're again, they're at the top of another one. Now, 2021 saw this team land the best recruiting class ever in the history of college football recruiting. So again, they've reloaded their depth. I'm going to say that this ranking is likely and largely based heavily upon this program's history. Year in and year out, you pretty much know what you're getting with Alabama. You're going to get at least 10 or 11 wins out of this program every single year, if not more, at a national championship. I mean, to put it in perspective, two losses for a Crimson Tide team is pretty much disastrous at this point under Nick Saban. So that is the standard with which they're playing. So history has played heavily into this ranking. During the spring game this past weekend, Bryce Young looked sharp at the quarterback position, which is you know very encouraging if you're a Crimson Tide fan with the exodus of Mac Jones. Wide receiver Ajay Hall is a star in the making, folks. He made some monster catches in that game. I'm sure that the Alabama faithful are already aware of this, having you know probably watched the game. However, the offensive line is going to be a big concern heading into this year, losing Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, and pretty much the entire offensive line that was, you know, considered the best unit in college football last year for offensive lines. Uh, if you turn on the tape during the spring game, the pocket is collapsing at an alarming rate around Bryce Young, who is not as big in stature as Mac Jones, and he did have some difficulty uh, seeing over that line as the pocket collapsed. Passing lanes got a little crunched down, but he was able to buy some time, make some good plays. But again, offensive line will be a concern considering some of the talented defensive fronts they're going to face in the SEC. We move on to the second team in this ranking, which is Oklahoma. The Sooners have a huge returning production rate. We've already discussed that in uh, some previous shows, plus the addition of some big transfers out of uh, a trio of players out of Tennessee, which I actually discussed in the last show. You get a freebie. Go back and listen to that one. You'll hear hear all about those guys. So they're coming in, and they're immediately eligible to play, which is great news for the Sooners. Spencer Rattler will likely show maturation this next season. Already coming off of a pretty solid first year as a starter. He's wildly talented. Um, should take a step forward this year as well. The defense is solidified quite a bit. I almost said solidified. <laughs> Excuse me. Solidified under Alex Grinch quite a bit. Uh Definitely much higher than the uh, recent standard of Oklahoma defenses over the last couple of years. I think they will be key to the sooner success coming into this year. My question is, they're completely primed to make not only a Big 12 run, but a possible national title run. 
As we've seen so many times before, the real question is, can they stay healthy? They have a stretch of games against West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas, and TCU all in a row. And those teams are sort of widely held as some of the more physical teams in the Big 12. And so can they stay healthy during that stretch is my question and avoid the injury bug biting for the Sooners' sake. I hope that they can, um, you know, and uh, you should hope so too if you are a fan of the boys in Norman. At number three, we have the Clemson Tigers. Uh <laughs> There's some guys that have some big shoes to fill at several positions, namely quarterback and running back. Now, DJ Uyunglele is surely your number one guy. I love saying that dude's name. It's a challenge every time. But there have been major concerns about Clemson's quarterback room past QB1. Um, Some of their quarterbacks at the second, third, fourth level have not matured or developed the way that they wanted them to, even though they were highly recruited. There's been whispers of that concern all around the program. So you better hope that QB1 stays healthy the entire time. Their defensive front should be very good. However, um, their secondary still lacks speed. That's been the biggest knock on them. I will say that their defense will get a boost in a leadership capacity for middle linebacker James Skalski returning. So that's good for the defensive side of the ball. But again, Time and time again last year, you could see their secondary get burnt, uh, you know, in in sort of passing situations that Clemson teams in the past would have dealt with a little bit better. They will definitely be put to the test week one versus Georgia, as the winner of that contest likely has a straight shot to the college football playoff. So we'll see how that plays out. At number four, we have Iowa State. They have 22 returning starters. Brock Purdy should be one of the better QBs in all of FBS. Linebacker Mike Rhodes, excuse me, Rose, pardon me, leads a fantastic defensive unit for Iowa State. And tight end Charlie Kohler, I think, could be a potential Mackey Award winner for this next year. Now, the real question is, is can they handle the bullseye on their back? Can they handle the success? This is a team that for so long was used to being an underdog, um, and now they're kind of in the position where they are, you know, they're, they're one of the big boys in the conference. So can they handle the success there? Will the moment be too big for them? They have to make a trip to Norman late in the season to take on the Sooners. I think that should be an instant classic of a game, but we'll see. Again, this is sort of unfamiliar territory for Iowa State. We've seen teams in the past that, you know, came out of that underdog role and kind of took on that, you know, that front runner, that headliner role and just didn't handle it very well for Matt Campbell and crew. I hope that that's not the case. Uh, I'd like to see this team, you know, have some success and, and possibly take a run at winning the big 12 and maybe getting a slot in the college football playoff, but we'll see how it all plays out. At number five, we have Ohio state. Elite recruiting has put Ohio State in a great position as far as depth goes in 2021. C.J. Stroud should be the projected starter at quarterback, and their wide receiver room is deep and very talented. But defensively, Ohio State has a lot to work on, especially in the secondary. They've lost 
massive production on that side of the ball, as well as their three starting linebackers are all off to the NFL. Now, I think Ohio State will probably romp through a Big Ten schedule, especially in the Big Ten East. That should be, you know, not terribly difficult for them. And that's sort of the MO with Ohio State year in and year out. They they get through their Big Ten schedule. But how will they fare against elite competition? Again, by the time it gets to playoff time, how are they going to fare? And so um, we'll have to see. Now, the early contest with Oregon should be interesting. I think that will be a good little acid test for them. Um, I've been very critical of the Pac-12 in the past. I'm still very critical of the Pac-12. Uh, I do think Oregon is, you know, definitely a top one, two team in the Pac-12. So we'll see what the best of the Pac-12 has to throw at Ohio State. We'll see how that game plays out. It'll be a really good indicator of what the Buckeyes are bringing to the table in 2021. And number six, we have Texas A&M. This is the first one that I'm kind of sitting there scratching my head a little bit, to be honest with you. Uh, not because... I don't think, you know, it's it's not because the the Aggies don't have great potential. Uh, it's just, well, let's break it down. They've, they've lost longtime starter at quarterback Kellen Mond, who's a guy that gave them a real chance at the success that they had last year. They've lost four out of five starters on the offensive line. Again, the Maroon Goons, huge, huge part of why they were so successful in 2020. Uh, now, recruiting under Jimbo Fisher has been excellent, but it's still not on par even with teams like Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Um, AM does retain most of their skill position players, minus the quarterback position. They do have Spiller returning. Most of the receivers are returning that, that were young and unheralded last year, and they do have tight end Jalen Weidermeyer, who's an absolute matchup nightmare coming into the picture. Can Haynes King, who is the projected starter for Texas A&M, get it done with that crew and the retooled offensive line? The SEC West is a tough environment to win in, so let's see how the young Aggies handle the pressure. Um, I do take a little bit of exception to this team being ranked ahead of the next team that we're going to talk about. Actually, 6, 7, and 8 are kind of interesting to me, so let's talk about number 7 real quick, and that's Georgia. University of Georgia, QB. Uh, obviously, is JT Daniels coming into the year. He was named the starter pretty much immediately in spring, which I think is a huge nod of confidence for him. I think he could easily be the best quarterback Kirby Smart has had at the program in his tenure. Now, George Pickens going down is a big loss. The secondary has, a, has lost a ton of production. Let's make no bones about it. However, the dogs are deep thanks to four consecutive top five recruiting classes and some key transfers as well. Now look for them to run through a disheveled SEC East. And it really comes down to whether or not their offense is able to start fast and join the top tier teams here in the 21st century. Uh, the dogs, with Kirby Smart there, they're always going to play enough D. You know, I think defense is never really going to be a huge concern for this team. But can they be a team that is capable of scoring 40-plus points every week? Because that is what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take, folks, in the the modern game to win a conference championship, to win a national championship. 
you got to be pumping out 40 plus points. I mean, you just, you, you just have to, you know, that with the way that the, the modern game is played, but with the way these, these offenses are so good these days, the match with Clemson is really a must win for the dogs. Now, the reason I take exception to the Aggies being ranked ahead of Georgia is uh, historics. I mean, UGA is a team that has won the SEC East three out of the last four years. They have an SEC title to their name. They have played for a national championship. The Texas A&M Aggies have, you know, just just recently elevated from a team that is was a nine-win program, basically, to what it is that they did last year, which is definitely their high-water mark under Jimbo Fisher. I just think if you're if you're factoring his, in historics and what a team is going to give you, uh, I would put the Bulldogs ahead of Texas A&M on this one. But again, twenty thousand simulations of the computer, whatever. The next team sitting at eight is is a really big head scratcher. Uh, but let's break this down for a second. It is the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and this is the biggest head scratcher of probably the entire list. I think this ranking here reeks of a lot of hype. Uh, sort of like a, I'm getting used car salesman vibes here. I think they're selling Mississippi State on potential, which my old man would say potential is just a word for shit you haven't done yet. Uh, and the shit they haven't done yet, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, are they really going to jump from the 119th ranked offense in 2020 to being a top 25 offense? this year in one year are they going to make that kind of jump i don't know doubt it seriously will rogers should return as the uh, starter at quarterback and they do return a i will say this they do return a top 2020 defensive unit that's going to stay largely intact their wide receivers core is uh, is also staying together which is great for that air raid offense that mike leach likes to run speaking of mike leach you know, he's he's got a proven track record of success in both Texas Tech and Washington State. But this ranking, it's still a... I mean, when you hear some of the teams that are ranked behind Mississippi State, it just... It, it, it's a big stretch for me. And with Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, and Mississippi, and a, a tough non-conference game with NC State, I mean, right now in the projections, they have they have Mississippi State basically going nine and three, um, and I can easily see them losing to Bama, LSU, Texas A&M, and Mississippi. There's there's four losses right there, you know. And who knows how that one with NC State goes? I mean, I don't know. We've we've projected NC State as being a pretty decent team coming into this next year, so I, I'm not really sure about that. I think it's a, it's a big stretch, but who knows? Who knows what's going on there in Starkville? Um, we'll know a lot better after the first four games you played, right? At number nine, we have Oklahoma State. Here's my deal. Mike Gundy's done about all he's going to do with that school. The Pokes were highly touted coming into last season, and they flat out disappointed. Their returning production isn't terrible, but I'm not sure uh, I'd even have them as a deadlock as the third best team in the Big 12. They have much to improve, uh, especially at the cornerback position, the cornerback position where uh, depth has been an issue for them. Plus their bell cow back, Chuba Hubbard, he gone. Um, so I'd be 
interested to see if the Cowboys can actually achieve their 15-point margin of victory with uh, quarterback Spencer Sanders entering his third year. We'll see how it plays out for them. Um, I don't know. The thing is, is Oklahoma State demonstrated they could play some defense last year. It was that that offense was just so anemic in so many contests. I just don't know if I see them taking a huge step, especially with losing such a big centerpiece of running back. Their offensive line has just got to get so much better in pass protection. You know, that was largely the reason that uh, they had so many struggles last year, especially with injury to the quarterback position and everything else. Um, so I, I don't know. That that whole unit has to take a huge step forward. At number 10 here, we have Penn State. Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, Penn State is a team that has talent. You know, James Franklin, head man there, has done a good job bringing players to Happy Valley. They've done a decent job with player development. But time and time again, we've seen Franklin and his coaching staff snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) We've seen it happen quite a few times. We saw it happen in Indiana last year. We saw it happen against USC. I mean, they've pulled it against. It's it's happened. It's just, just those bonehead moments that you see, mismanagement in games that just drive fans wild and everybody else, I'm sure. So... Uh, we've also seen a habit of Penn State being in close games because of these, possibly these decisions, also maybe just the personality of the team with opponents. That, they, they've been in close games with opponents that just really, honestly, in my opinion, have no business being anywhere close to in the game with, with a team of Penn State's level. And Penn State just, they haven't demonstrated a killer instinct to me in the years under James Franklin which is why I'll, I believe that they will fall short of that 14.9 point average margin of victory that they are projected for by the football power index in this next year. I think they're going to be in a lot more closer competitions than that as they get their feet back under them from a disastrous 2020 campaign. But I think the Nittany Lions faithful will be happy with W's this year, however they can get them. So that takes us out of the top 10, and now I'm going to get into a section here where I've got some beef. All right, so as I skim down the list some more, I land on the number 18 team, and that is LSU. And I've got a big problem here. I am not an LSU fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that being said, they have a ton of returning production. Um, They may even land or re-land recapture, I should say, Eric Gilbert at tight end. He might be back in the fold. He's been talking to Coach Owen Baton Rouge. The QB situation's solid. They got Miles Brennan. They got Max Johnson. They're they're really solid in their QB room, and they're bringing back a ton of experience and depth in their defensive front and a retooled secondary. Bo Pelini is out, so they're going to get back to some basics there in Baton Rouge as far as you know what they're doing on defense. Now, LSU is not a program that historically stays down. They don't stay down for long if they get down at all. So I think they will make a strong resurgence in 2021. Uh, And they're they're projected for 4.8, which is damn near five losses coming into this next year. And I just don't know where that's coming from. Even in the SEC West, I just don't see where their five losses are coming from. I'm going to say that this is a team, by the time bowl season shakes out, you might see them lose three games tops. I think it's more likely that they're closer to that two mark. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like a 10 and two kind of year um, 
four for LSU. I really do think that they will make a big step back. I don't think that they'll win the West. I still think that that's Alabama's division to lose, but I do feel like the Bayou Bengals are going to take a big step back this year. At number 40, we have Michigan, and this bothers me. Michigan is a team that has averaged 10 wins per year under Jim Harbaugh, of course, barring last year. And just because of last year, now they're down to 40th on the football power index. They're in the company of teams like Tulane, Wake Forest, Kentucky, Coastal Carolina, and all those teams, by the way, are ranked ahead of them in the football power index. Uh, I just don't see that. Michigan is still recruiting at a top 10 class level. They've recruited a top 10 class this year, which means their depth is going to be great again, uh, even with the embarrassing season. The Wolverines, I think, will make a step back towards the right direction in 2021. I don't think that they're winning the Big Ten, but are they really 30 spots worse than Penn State? Me says no. At number 78, we have Boise State. They obviously did not factor in history here. Boise State is the third winningness program outside of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Columbus, Ohio since 2009. So they are the third winningness team in FBS. And I just hate that Alabama is held to historics for their rating because they only have about 30% of their offensive production coming back. But they did not apply the same criteria here for Boise State. Obviously, a team that year in and year out is a powerhouse in the Mountain West Conference. And even though they're in the midst of a coaching change, I don't see a major drop-off for the Broncos. Hank Bachmeyer returns a quarterback. The defense returns a core of talented young players. And new head coach Andy Avalos is a former Boise State player himself. I think this is an eight-win program easily. We move on to number 96, and that's Army. The Black Knights are a squad that have punched above their weight class for a few years now. They've gone toe-to-toe with Power 5 big boys, taking them to the wire. They have cracked the top 25 in the last three years. They've picked up double-digit wins in 2017 and 2018. Last year, they managed nine wins, uh, and they gave a very good Cincinnati team fits. They returned nearly everyone for 2021, which is a rare thing at service academies. And I I just see the Black Knights making another run towards a Commander-in-Chief trophy, as well as a bowl bid and at least eight wins. So there it is, folks. There's my thoughts on ESPN's Football Power Index rankings. 20,000 computer simulations. Yeah, it's hard to argue with. But I like to factor in the human elements here as well. The variables that the computer couldn't possibly factor in, because last I checked, the game is played by human beings. And until that changes, anything can happen. Now, if you're betting your house against the FPI rankings, I'd advise against it. All I'm saying here is don't be surprised to see teams migrate up and down this list. Several spots in some cases. It happens every single year. I'd encourage you to go to ESPN.com and take a look for yourself and see if you agree or disagree with my assessment. Now, you know I have to close this out. So, hey. If you enjoyed what you've heard here today, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, five star hopefully, give us that oh so important review, or at least tell a few friends about the podcast. They can catch us on Apple Pods, Spotify, Google Pods, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, all the casts, and Anchor, of course. Also, 
If you'd like to get you some Any Given You swag, visit our online store at squadlocker.com and search the Any Given You store. We have a great selection of affordable apparel for dudes, chicks, kiddos, and everyone. And the best part is 10% of every purchase is donated to charitable causes. I do not take one cent for myself. If you have comments, suggestions, gripes, complaints, or otherwise, please shoot us an email at anygivenyou at gmail.com. Again, that is anygivenyou, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We'd love to get some fan-based material to discuss on future shows. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, you get it at any given you.